Welcome to Your Business Greatness. I am your host, Simone Sloan, the Executive Strategist. And really, our mission here is to educate business owners, professionals, the community at large. Our next guest describes himself as being optimistic, having grit, and pessimistic all at the same time. His name is Paul. He's founder of CEO Method, an automation tool for QuickBooks and Zero users. He's a two-time founder who believes in building software for small businesses that work just like they do. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for having me, Simone. <laughs> Absolutely. As we, I shared a little bit with the audience just in terms of your three words. I also shared a little bit of your bio, but I'm also curious if you could share a little bit in terms of your journey in business, being a two-time entrepreneur, and where you are today with Method. Yeah, journey. So I guess that's uh, that's a really good way to describe business, right? So <laughs> how do we get here? I'm not sure what's what's next, but I can I can tell you how I got here. Maybe I should first define what here is. Mm, I like so that. Here, so he, so here is method. That's uh, the company we currently have. It's a hundred people company, nice. and what we make is a software platform that allows small businesses who use QuickBooks or Xero for their accounting software to make their own custom apps so they can automate any of their business process. So that's here. Now, how did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, I guess uh, back to those three words, mm. I think those words you asked me to describe myself, I think that's, that's probably who I am in my personal life, but it's also who I am in my work life. Uh, and I think those words describe me as an entrepreneur. So I think you have to you have to be optimistic in order to be kind of foolish enough to ignore the odds and, and mm. dive in and start a business and and need grit because every day I think small business owners get punched in the face by something somewhere and they have to get back up again and and keep going. And then once you achieve some kind of success then uh, you should be pessimistic because it's not going to last long if you're not. Mm. You, have to, you should assume there's there's things around the corner coming to bite you. So I think from an early age, I, I had those qualities and, mm. and I started businesses off when I was I was quite young. I started a service business off in high school and uh, and it helped pay for my way through university. I also about to employ a bunch of my uh, my my graduating class in high school. <laughs> and uh, and then when I when I when I started the real work world, I started a service business software, which helped automate the work orders and invoicing for, for service companies. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And we, we lasted about 10 years until a private equity company got super interested in us and, and decided that they want to make an offer to acquire us. And I think during that process, I really learned what, what made us tick as a company and, mm -hmm. and made really what interested me. We were kind of sitting around, a few of us who were left over saying, okay, well, now what? Well, <laughs> should, we, should we start a business together? And and we kind of looked back at what at what we had done and uh and we, we thought, well, what is that was the problem we never really solved? And that was these these small businesses that were in this field service industry who you think would be all the same were actually all different. And they would grow and they would they would hit up against walls of what of of the features that we had built and they wanted to build their own features and they couldn't because it's a box piece of software we wanted to solve that problem like how could how could small companies actually get like the same thing a, a enterprise company get using sap 
nice. some big enterprise custom system. How could how could a small business who can't afford an SAP? How could they get some kind of custom system too? And so that's really what started up method was let's figure out how to get that dream custom system in the hands of of small business owners. Nice, nice. And you know, these small business owners, we we get ignored so frequently and um, not get a lot of love in terms of services and and things that are tailored to our demographics, if you will, right? I'm glad that you shared in terms of the why method came to be. As you are working with your clients and prospects and the trends that you're seeing within your industry, I'm just curious in terms of the challenges that you kind of experience as you just introduce method to companies or transition them from one CRM to another. And, and actually, a lot of them don't have a CRM today. So a lot of them are building a system or using a system for the first time. So what typically happens is a small business will start, usually an owner-driven company, and they will they'll do what's, what's required to keep growing. And they'll grow to about 10 or so staff. Mm-hmm. And that's when chaos begins. And so you have your, your processes are probably like either in your head, mm-hmm. usually most of the time it's actually in your head, or it's in Excel or Google Sheets, or it's in a whiteboard somewhere. But you probably you probably have at, at around 10 employees, you have adopted an accounting software like Xero or QuickBooks. And you're now reaching the point where you're the bottleneck. Mm-hmm. And I think mm. that's that's the problem I think a lot of small businesses face is once they reach around 10 employees, they become the, the bottleneck where they can't keep it all in their heads. They're still the ones that making all the decisions. Everything that's that's critical is still going through them. And uh, they start looking for for a solution to that. And that's that's kind of where we step in. Nice. So that's that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help those small businesses that have grown to a point where they're now in a bit of chaos because they've had some growth. Congratulations to them. And they're looking to to keep going. Got it. And when you define small businesses, what does that really mean? Because I mean, everyone has their own definitions of that. So I'm always curious in terms of yeah. where this is. <laughs> like I, I've seen definitions of small businesses where it's like under 500 employees, you're a small business. And that that's, is not a small business. That's not. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I, I like I like Intuit's definition, which is a small business is uh, is under 100 employees. And mm. after 100, you become mid-sized. Yeah. And then you have micro businesses, which are usually really one employee or, or, or fewer. I think the latest stats that I've read is that there's 31 mil- million businesses in the US. Yep. Only 7 million of them actually have employees. Mm. So, Isn't um, amazing? <laughs> yeah. So, so, so not many have employees. Yeah. So if you have employees, you're part of uh, already an elite group. So for me, I think of the small business as really 1 to 100. And for our company, where we really kick in is from 10 to 100. Got it. Absolutely. And so as you're looking at that, and thanks for sharing where you're kind of playing in that whole small business definitions, because like I said, it varies depending upon who you're talking to and what government agency you're listening to. The climate, you said most don't have CRM programs and I get it. They have it in their heads. They have 10. But for those though, that are, how do you then transition or help them to move from all my processes are in my brain to actually helping them systematically build out something that can be repeatable, scalable. Yeah. So the way we see the market today is you have traditional CRMs, mm-hmm. which have a lot of those processes and features already built in. So if they're, if they're using one of those traditional CRMs, which is great, it's better than not using it, then they can just follow 
the rules that that CRM puts forth. Or there's another alternative, which is industry-specific software, which is more tailored to their type of business, but it's probably lacking in the CRM side and it's still fairly generic, but it is probably going to help them do some kind of process automatically they couldn't do before. But what we do is we see a little bit differently. We we want the best of both worlds. So we have a CRM and we have industry-specific mm-hmm. templates they can start off with, but we help them with custom processes. Okay. The whole software is malleable. So when they use method, they can use what's out of the box or they can change it. Mm. And I think getting back to your question is how do we help them figure out which processes to, to follow and to automate? There's a few questions they can ask themselves. One is, what are the processes today that they're doing that don't require critical thinking? So let the critical thinking handle be handled by humans. Mm. Things that don't require critical thinking, those could be automated. What are the ones that are often repeated over and over again? So high frequency, probably high benefit of, of, of automating the ones that are high frequency. And what takes a long time? Mm. Which ones are just basically hogging up a huge amount of time? And then the final question I would say is, who's doing it? Is it actually one of the owners? Is it one of the key people in the company? And if so, then they are really killing their company by being the bottleneck of a key process. Right. So if they can figure out which ones are, are key people, high frequency, done regularly, and automate those ones and leave everything else alone for a while, we can slowly ease them into automation. Mm. And that will relieve a lot of pressure from their business. Got it. Got it. Now, when I don't know if you actually track in terms of usage based upon the number of employees that once you put and implement the system... What does that look like? Because there's sometimes where you get this new CRM, everyone gets trained on it, and then it just sits there. So I'm just curious in terms of what do you notice from that perspective? Yeah, CRMs are hard to implement because it's not something where you can you can just buy it and it just does it all for you. You have to put in work, like the data in, in order to get data out. I definitely know that, that is a problem that plagues the entire industry. What we try and do is start small, make sure that everyone's Everyone's addressing the key problem. So what is what is that that is the biggest problem to solve today for the business? That what's that what's that one process you're gonna automate and just worry about that? Mm-hmm. I think what happens with CRM adoption is people just get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. They're trying to do way too much because CRMs can be big and scary and they want to get as much value out of it. So they're trying to do it all and it just becomes too much to handle rather than easing into it. So the ones we find are the most successful are the ones who have the focus to just automate a few things in their company at a time, not mm. all at once. I want to switch gears again a little bit and get back into like in terms of you and, and your being. And I'm just curious in terms of when you're not with method, what are you most passionate about? What are you working on? What are you doing? I'm coaching first base. I'm yelling mm. go and back to a bunch of 10-year-olds. Mm. <laughs> that is that outside of business that is currently my biggest joy in the world is is coaching a a 10 year old triple a team oh. uh, in baseball it is it is so much fun and you know why i love it so much because you, you can see how they they're building 
some of those key qualities that's yeah. going to help them later on in life. There's ups and downs in Absolutely. sports and competitive sports and, and in baseball there's ups and downs, but they're building that grit. Yep. There's that word, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and what I love grit. too, they're dealing with those different personalities, right? The one who maybe the one that who wants to always get the ball, the one who's just kind of like, oh, what do I do? I need to be told what to do, right? So it's like all these different personalities that you're kind of navigating while working towards a goal. Well, absolutely. Like there's, there's, I find sometimes some of my business learnings have applied very well in the baseball field <laughs> and, that, and that, that you really do have a mix of personalities and people and one kid can have a, a strikeout and it's the end of the world. Like mm. they, their world is over yeah. and the next kid can have a strikeout and they've already moved on by the time they get back to the dugout. And it's the same kind of practice you can apply in business as well, where you can't treat all your your teammates the same. They all have different things that drive them, different levels of emotion. So the two the two transfer over quite well. Absolutely. I could definitely see that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks for that. As you you talk about your company and your size of a hundred and they're distributed, I think believe that you were kind of distributed all over different countries. Is that correct? I think COVID caused us to be more distributed than we had previously been comfortable mm-hmm. with, but we are still, I think, entirely in Canada. Okay. And so there's some out in the West Coast and there's some dispersed in kind of the countryside, but yeah. most here are right here in Toronto. Got it. And I think um, we are, we're not entirely a remote company. We are a hybrid company. We do believe in the value of being face-to-face, but we also do believe in the value of flexibility. So we we try and strike that right balance. Nice, nice. And as you think about in terms of working with distributed teams, hybrid teams, one of the key things and really bubbling up too is around the flexibility, but also inclusiveness, right, around it. And so how do you work towards ensuring that that's kind of held together as part of your company ethos? Yeah, I think I think that's a very good point. I think that uh, we're learning that um, choosing how you want to get your work done and where you want to get your work done really does depend on your own situations and your own comfort levels. Uh, we we do find that some are just not comfortable being in the office. And we encourage them to take advantage of the flexibility to get their work done in different ways. The thing that COVID, I think, helped with was showing the world that we can still be productive mm. while being remote. And we've taken that to heart here at Method. Nice. Very nice. As part of the, also, the le- as being a two-time entrepreneur actually i would say three right because you started yeah, high school sure. service business <laughs> Absolutely. i do because i remember starting my first jewelry business in high school too and it let me tell you it was a hustle <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll limit to three we won't count the times where i would buy cases of mountain dew pop and and hide it in the, the locker next to me at school and sell it to my class. Oh, that still counts. <laughs> okay, four-time entrepreneur. Here we go. <laughs> I was a bubble gum girl. So, <laughs> so I, I totally understand that one. <laughs> yeah, so four. <laughs> Your proudest professional moment. What does that look like? It's huh. a good one. I think this is an interesting one. Okay, so <laughs> it would have been in 2014. After a hard time. So mm-hmm. so in the early days of Method, it was super hard because what we were doing was we were building a platform to allow people to create their own apps, mm. which today in 2023 isn't so crazy. There's a lot of no-code platforms out, out there. But in, in 
2010 when we started up to 2014, that didn't really exist. There wasn't a name for it. People hadn't even called it no code yet. And and it was it was getting harder and harder to convey to our investors, our own staff, and the community at large that no code was was for real. And so we had entered into a hackathon in Silicon Valley where there are 130 software developers who were all going to build on top of some kind of API mm-hmm. that, that Intuit had put out. And I made a promise to the whole company. At that time, we were probably about 45 people. I made a promise to the whole company and to the board of directors, which by the way, anyone listening who has board of directors, don't ever do that. <laughs> but I made a promise <laughs> that we were going to go to Silicon Valley with our no-code platform and compete against 130 Silicon Valley software developers and win the grand mm-hmm. prize and bring home a big Silicon Valley check. And so we went down mm-hmm. and we did stay up all night. We put together a killer presentation and uh, we ended up winning grand prize awesome. for, for making making a no-code app in less than 24 hours that it was really a it was a payment app. And it was just it was such a huge relief more mm-hmm. than a celebration because we had proven that no code built on top of QuickBooks works mm. and can, and can out compete a coded application nice. and that gave proof to really all the believers that they should keep believing awesome awesome love that story but i'm going to flip the coin a little bit too and talk about the the toughest professional moment what does that look like <laughs> yeah um <laughs> I mean, I think I'd be lying if I didn't say that it wasn't about letting people go. That's mm. usually, I think, any entrepreneur, mm. that's the hardest part. Mm. I think there's a key to growing a company successfully. You have to you have to have focus. So you have to have focus on who your best customers are. And you also need to have focus on who your best employees are and mm. build a team around who you want to be from an employee standpoint. There was one time particularly, I would say, is my hardest moment where someone who had been with me really early on who had a team under them was no longer able to keep up and having been through those grit days, those really Mm -hmm. hard days with Mm -hmm. me and been in the trenches with me and survived. It was a hard decision to make that this person wasn't going to be able to keep their, uh, the role in the company. So I think that's probably the hardest moment was letting that person go. Mm. That is hard when you have that longevity, but you kind of realize, like you said, in terms of where do we need to go and what are the skill sets that we need and who are the type of folks that we really need to help get to that next level. It is a tough, tough decision from that perspective. I guess, too, as you kind of think through, we always have an aha moment or some sort of wisdom that we want to impart. And I'm just curious in terms of as you think, look back to your journey, and I do call it a journey because it's a business journey. Yeah. What was any aha moments that came to mind too, or any words of wisdom that you'd like to impart to the audience? Yeah, I guess I guess it's really the same theme, and that's around identifying the key process to automate. I can say probably the aha moment was really early on. It involved putting a cloud icon next to a customer list, which is really not a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'll tell you how I got there. Okay. We had a, so we were at QExpress, the company prior to Method. Mm-hmm. We were probably about 15 people. We had a mobile app developer named Pete. And he would constantly being pulled off mobile app development to actually work on our internal systems so that we could run our company more smoothly, more efficiently. 
And one of the biggest problems that we had we had found at the time was that our salespeople were calling our customers and getting the voicemail. Mm. They, and it was killing us. It was like we were not hitting our goals because of it. And they realized that when they called customers, they picked up, it was typically raining mm. in their area. And when it was sunny, they're out working. They weren't picking up the phone. <laughs> right. And so we said, Pete, could you build an API driven like little icon where mm. if it is raining in their area, put a little cloud next to the customer list and ah. put a little sun next to that. And we did that. And and it worked. We were able to close a lot more calls. <laughs> and, and, it, and I think that aha moment, which is like if you can identify problems in your business mm. and you can find some way of automating a little insight that you have great things can happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, when we started up Method, it was really how can we give a Pete to every small business? <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and, and it's not, that aha moment has carried yeah. with me throughout my, my journey. Nice. Very nice. So I would love to, we continue our conversation because I mean, it's so much fun, but I'm also curious in terms of how can folks connect to you? They can hit me up on Twitter. I'm okay. not the most avid Twitter user, but I do tweet from time to time. It's that Paul Alex Jackson. Got it. And that will definitely be in the show notes, podcast notes. Anything else that you'd like to, to impart on the audience today? Well, yes. I mean, if they if they are at that point where they are looking for automating some of the, the chaos that they've they've brought into their companies, we have a free trial. It's a 14-day trial. They can go to method.me to try it out. Awesome. But also if they're not at that point yet and they're just they're not ready to get software, but they still want to improve their businesses. I would start off by simply writing down what the things they are doing today that takes up time. Just start the process, write it down, write down what the steps they're taking. And whether they're using automate, suffer to automate those steps or not, at least they'll know what's taking time. Mm. And then as they scale, they'll be able to much Absolutely. easier adopt Absolutely. some automation. Well, I love the four things that you kind of asked them to look at too, in terms of critical versus non-critical things, high frequency, long-term, and who's really doing it, right? From that perspective, I think that should also be part of their their homework, if you will, as they analyze the things that they're doing. Definitely. And that, I think that fourth one is big asterisk. <laughs> like if it's them doing it, how much longer? What mm. happens when they're, 10, what happens in their 20, what happens in 25? What's their plan to, to not be that first anymore? Absolutely. Well, thank you, Paul, so much for imparting, sharing your journey, sharing what method, and also in terms of how you support your clients. So thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. Thank you for joining us on Your Business Greatness. I am your host, Simone Sloan, and love to see you next time.